Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Uh, with me, as always, is Charles W. Bryant. I'm always there for you, Josh. Yeah, as always. Yes. How's it going? I'm contractually obligated to do <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I know. So, Chuck, you doing all right? Yeah, dude. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. It's Thursday. It's not Friday, but... Uh, it's a little gray out for my tastes. Yeah. It's sprinkling, by the way. I thought it was like pouring rain. Is it no, just sprinkling? It's sprinkling. That's no, good. So, um, Chuck, do you remember, can we go back a year or so, okay. May 2008? How many years after Ghostbusters? <laughs> Let's see, hold on. What was it, 84 or 86? We 80, 84, and yes, we do know that there is a, uh, 24 years. a sequel coming, by the way. Yes, Ghostbusters 3. Mm-hmm. That's going to be awesome. Should be. The, the entire original cast. I believe so. Except for Sigourney Weaver, which, that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ghostbusters three coming out. Right. So where are we? <laughs> so we're we're uh, twenty four years after Ghostbusters. Right. May two thousand eight, and um, the news cycle had this uh, kind of strange occurrence, where a bunch of undiscovered human beings were splashed across the front pages of newspapers everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Sorta. Yeah. So there's this photo. <laughs> there's several photos of these uh, people living in um, primitive huts. Uh huh. Actually, primitive longhouses is what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, and they are, the, it's an aerial photo taken from a low flying helicopter and they are pissed. Yeah. They have, they're like aiming their, uh, bows and arrows at the, at the camera. Did like, you see the picture? It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's awesome. They're like, get out of here. Right. Um, and, uh, so yeah, like this, this whole thing made the, made the news cycle and, and Chuck, uh, I imagine I take from what you said before we started recording that you, right. you have a, a tad bit of disdain for the, <laughs> Let's say journalism that was applied to this. Yeah. Well, first of all, should we go ahead and refute it? Why not? Because they were not, in fact, undiscovered people. No. And there's actually a uh, huge, huge distinction between undiscovered people and uncontacted or isolated people, right? Right. But you would not know that by reading The Independent from London. Which I'm disappointed because I like that paper. No, I'm sorry. I could care less about The Independent. It's The Guardian I like. Yeah, you like The Guardian. Yeah. Not the Daily Mail, the Independent. Right. Uh, here's here's how the article opens up beneath the picture of the you know clearly savage loincloths and everything <laughs> with the arrow pointing at the helicopter. Right. Three near naked figures are visible in the forest clearing. Two of them are men. Their bodies daubed with a red dye, and they are aiming their bows at the sky. A third figure appears to be a woman. Her body blackened, and only her pale hands and face betraying her natural color. This remarkable photograph is the first proof of existence of one of the world's last uncontacted tribes. Yeah. So they do say uncontacted. That's good. But not, not everybody did, though. Sure. It's a little overblown. That was a fine dramatic reading there, Chuck. I think the funniest thing that would have happened is if he would have shot that arrow and it would have somehow disrupted the propeller of the helicopter. Right. And it would have you know, landed safely on the beach for them to be eaten <laughs> yeah that would have been a nice ending there are tons of rumors of uh, cannibalism about undiscovered sure. people right mm-hmm. um in this specific case there is a guy named carlos dos reyes mireles my spanish is a little rusty but i think that's about right not bad um and uh he is an indian expert i uh-huh. just made air quotes and these photos were taken in brazil right yeah. um this guy led 
the uh, the search for this tribe, mm-hmm. right? And um, as the as I, I guess he kind of watched with horror, hopefully, yeah. as they were described as undiscovered and no one had ever found them before. He's he came out and was like, "Wait, wait, no, I've been following these people for the last twenty years, right? So they're not undiscovered." See, I thought he that was part of the ploy for him. Was he taken aback by that? You think? I thought maybe that's how he got the funding to get the research team by saying they were. It could go either way. We'll find out. Well, let's talk about it. Is it even possible to be undiscovered? Well, that's what this podcast is about, buddy. And you know what? It's kind of impossible these days. Yeah, we have things like GPS. Mm-hmm. We have things like uh, heat sensors that can be attached to airplanes. Sure. Which you know, body heat sensors. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is uh, almost complete and total encroachment and harnessment of any square parcel of land yeah. on the planet. Yeah, most everywhere. Most. But that doesn't mean that there aren't people who are who live outside, I guess, the French, who live primitively yeah. and remain in a, I guess, primitive state. These are the uncontacted people. Yeah, isolation, basically. they First they call them undiscovered, then they say uncontacted, and then they finally settle on isolated. Right. Which means, more than anything, is they don't want any part of us. Yeah. And Not that we don't want a part of them, because we're always interested. We are, and usually with... Um, Ill intent. Murderous results, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, these people have learned the hard way. Um, and some of these uncontacted tribes also, we should say, don't even, we have no idea what they call themselves. Right. So there's this, there's a group actually called Survival International, and they are dedicated to preserving indigenous ways of lives. Yeah, life, for these tribes. It's for awesome. these, for uncontacted tribes who've rejected modernization, right? Indeed. Because that's the thing you think about it when it's undiscovered or they're uncontacted. You, you, you kind of pointed out, we just tend to think like, oh, well, they don't know about civilization. Right. Or, you know, these poor fools, they don't know about, you know, television or yeah, Grand water. Theft Auto 6. Right. And you know? they would clearly be better off if we uh, gave them TV or made them Christians or, or did whatever, you know, made them slaves. Yeah, which we have a fine, fine tradition of doing. Sure. And um, in this, uh, who's this kid who wrote this? Patrick Kiger? Yeah, never heard of him. I hadn't either, but he's pretty good. Yeah. He does say that it goes back to Columbus. It goes well back before that. Um, oh, yeah, sure. The uh, Portuguese in particular loved to, to uh, enslave Africans. Yeah. And actually, African tribes used to enslave one another. They had a completely different method and system of slavery. Uh, slaves were m- treated much better among African tribes, especially West African tribes, um, to where they would eat at the same table as the people that own them. And, of course, the Romans used slaves. Yeah. The Jews spent a good portion of their history as slaves to the Egyptians. Sure. So, I mean, whenever we come upon new people or subjugate them, we we have a history of enslaving them, like you said. Yeah, we tend to conquer. Like Chris Columbus met the very friendly Arawak people. Yeah. And instead of saying, well, we can learn from them, he thought they would make really good servants. <laughs> right. Look how hardworking they are. Yeah. And they don't even speak English, so who cares? Right, exactly. Well, they were also looked upon as savages or less than human, which uh, definitely aided yeah. the subjugation of their, their, I don't know, blood. Right. Do you know why? Why? Because back before everything was discovered and there was still a lot of undiscovered land and they were making maps, the map makers would often chart these undiscovered lands as being filled with, you know, 
mutant human beings and scary beasts for some reason. Right, like here there be monsters because yeah. we haven't gotten around to mapping this area yet. So just assume sure. that there's some sort of water serpent that's going to eat your boat. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know why they tended to strike fear into people and to explorers instead of saying there might be very friendly people. Maybe caution? Fear of the unknown. You think so? Sure. But Josh, these days, virtually every corner of the earth has been explored except for obviously parts of Antarctica and Amapa, which I had never heard of. Oh, where is it? In Brazil. And they said that 70% of this territory in uh, northern Brazil is still unexplored forest. Right. So it's possible there are undiscovered people out there. Maybe. Right. Uh, if there are undiscovered people out there, they are in big trouble because if the um, uncontacted or isolated people are any indication in their plight, um, then, yeah, any undiscovered people are really kind of screwed. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about Chris Columbus and, sure. and subjugating people. And actually, uh, Columbus was quite the little uh, genocidal maniac. He was. We covered that in uh, one of the other podcasts, too. We, we did. We did. Um, because not only did he enslave them, he killed them, had them killed. Like sure. Entire groups of people are assumed to have been wiped out by yeah. uh, European colonization. And not just through brute force, but... This uh, this type of genocide, and, and especially if you look at a genocide as the the by its definition, that it's the systematic wiping out of a group, right? Like yeah. a people or a population, then it still continues today. As recently as the uh, the eighties, sure, the nineties in Brazil. Are you talking about the microbes, or are you talking about outright violence? Violence, okay, specifically against the Akunzu. Yes, Josh, the Akunzu, who uh, seemed like a friendly tribe that grew corn and hunted in remote Brazil for thousands of years until they were discovered, and it was discovered that their land could be used for uh, soy cultivation and cattle. Right, So, uh, and logging, actually, right? Yeah, yeah. So the uh, the companies put in logging roads and, and into these this uh, virgin territory where the Akunzu lived, mm-hmm. and they actually came upon them. And it's part of Brazil's constitution that um, the moment you meet an uncontacted tribes person or an undiscovered person, yeah, all work stops. So what the logging companies and the uh, soybean farming concerns and the uh, cattle ranchers did was hire as- assassins, like death squads, yeah. s- when they did meet the Akuntu, uh-huh. uh s- and sent them in and actually massacred them with guns. These people sh- use bows and arrows. And these guys came in with machine guns and killed all but seven of the entire tribe. Yeah, then they fled. Sadly, they fled. And in two, just last year, a newspaper reported that there were only five living Akunzu in the world. Right. And that was 1990. No. That wasn't 1492 no, or, no, you no. know, 300 AD. Very shameful. Yeah. But they are not, Josh, the most uh, isolated tribe, according to Survival International, are they? Right, no. That would be the Sentinelese. Had you ever heard of these guys? No, I hadn't. And I saw that video you sent me. There's a it's clip on cool. YouTube. Yeah. I think, what, did you just search the Sentinelese and yeah, that's what there, came up? there was a couple of clips. All right. I think Nat Geo went down there and, and they did the same thing. They came out of the jungle onto the beach. And what it looked like in the video, or the, is their interpretation was they were making friendly gestures. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see another one where they had the bow and arrow out. Yeah. And um, I was laughing though when I was watching it earlier. Part of me expected... Like hippie Rob to come out as their leader, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like the god. He's like uh, Brando in Apocalypse Now. Exactly. Um, and the Sentinelese, Josh, where are they? They are believed 
to be descended from the very first humans in Africa. And technically we all are, but these people are directly sure. dis- descended from the first group that migrated out about 60,000 years ago, right? Yep. They live on the uh, Andaman uh, Islands uh-huh. in the Indian Ocean. And did you notice how clear that water was and how white those beaches were? I wouldn't leave either, dude. It was gorgeous. Who needs TV and Xbox when you've got that, you know? Right. So these people will come out of the jungle if you throw coconuts into the water at the beach. Right. That's what they were doing, right? Oh, was it? Yeah. The, the, these, this group of people were sitting there throwing coconuts <laughs> into the water, and the uh, Sentinelese came out and were like, thanks for the coconuts. Well, they probably thought it's raining coconuts from the giant monster. Yeah. But they are actually not primitive Stone Age uh, folks from what they say. No. Survival International says they're actually... Uh, do make tools and weapons from recovered metal from shipwrecks. Right. Pretty cool. They are actually not threatened. They're very uh, isolated and uh, relatively uncontacted. Right. Um, but they're not threatened. They live on an island that no one really has any interest in, right? Yeah, exactly. But as we saw with the uh, Akunzu, though, um, if there is money to be made off of the uh, indigenous land, yeah. You're you're in trouble. Soy, oil, yeah, cattle. Survival International actually named all of those: oil, um, farming, mm-hmm. cattle, and logging, uh, as the the dominant threat to uncontacted tribes. So sad. There's supposedly an estimated hundred uncontacted tribes in the world. Yeah, I was kind of surprised. That's a lot, and it's sad that these people are around for sixty thousand years doing their thing. Doing their thing long mm-hmm. before us, and um, we just come in and say, "Hey, this would make a great soy farm." So I'm going to massacre you. Yeah, they and, heard, and of, they heard about the bailout, and they're like, <laughs> "Right, we're staying here, <laughs> not for us." No. So um, there's uh, five regions that are under the greatest threat right now, and they're in Brazil, Paraguay, and Peru. And actually, there's tons of evidence. There's groups dedicated, like uh, Survival International, right? Um, and other NGOs, and then there's actually government ministries set up in Brazil and in Peru and I think Paraguay um, that are in charge of keeping track of these uncontacted tribes, which is really difficult to do. Sure. Uh, and a lot of times uh, these uncontacted tribes are slivers, offshoots of other tribes right. that have had their land disturbed by logging or um, mining uh-huh. or oil companies. So or they whatever. would join up with another tribe? and No, they'd just take off into the forest. Oh, and start a new tribe. No one would know how many there were, that kind right. of thing. But, yeah, yeah they, they would be living primitively, uh, but they're getting pushed further and further out right. or being massacred or they're coming into contact with disease, right? Yeah, that's what I was talking about with the microbes. Uh, violence is obviously a big threat, but they say that a bigger threat are uh, these people, that these tribes that lack immunities to these awful diseases that that 20th century man has right 21st century man excuse me sure it's the future i'm living in the past (laughs) yeah uh yeah there's actually uh that favorite book of mine 1491 oh yeah by charles c man talks about how there's an estimated 100 million people living on uh in the americas uh in 1491 and then i think 90 percent were wiped out by smallpox thank you like within a few decades and josh it didn't just happen way back then. No. Like you said, in the 80s, the uh, some Christian missionaries made contact with the uh, Zoe tribe in Brazil. And in pretty short form, 45 members of that tribe died 
from the flu, malaria, and respiratory diseases. Yeah. Just like that. And uh, more recently, in 1996, half of the Marunahua Marunahua tribe, uh, I think in Brazil, uh, they were contacted by illegal loggers, and half of the tribe was wiped out um, from respiratory illnesses, I think. Awful. So it's not like, to bring up one of our favorite movies again, it's not like bringing orange soda to the Waponi (laughs) Woo. Joe versus the volcano. Oh yeah, it's not like that in in real life. I thought you were talking about um, the gods must be crazy. No, another good one though. Oh yeah, it is. but it's not like the uh, Joe versus volcano. It's not all happy go lucky. They usually make contact with them, and even in the case of the Christian missionaries, they were trying to do good, I guess, and ended up killing a lot of them. And the Brazilian government stepped in and actually kicked them out, the religious group, and said, "No, you got to get out of here." Yeah. And apparently, even when the thing is, when contact is made as safely as possible and there's a medical contingency plan in place, uh, it's expected that uh, a lot of the tribes people will die. Right. But if there's, if it's, if they're made through illegal loggers or a Christian missionary group that doesn't know what they're doing, mm-hmm. then, uh, yeah, a lot of people die, if not the entire group. Right. That tribe did recover, though, we should note. Yeah. Which is good news. <laughs> so get out of here, Christian missionary, so we can live peacefully. And healthfully. So, Chuck, is it good to even contact these people? Well, it can be good and bad because obviously if you make contact and you know a little bit about their way of life, you can protect them. But it's also, like this newspaper article, it also opens them up to uh, being invaded or watched or, in this case, what, what was the... Uh, the tourism trip? Tell them about that. That's awful. Savage tourism? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the guy who um, was responsible for leading the expedition that produced those photographs that made the paper in 2008 uh, was apparently approached by travel agents who wanted him to set up a savage tourism <laughs> trip. It's awful. Which can't you just see a bunch of like oh, yeah. fat white Germans and Americans uh-huh. like, oh, I want to touch you. you right. Know? Now your whole tribe's wiped out. And now let's get back on the cruise ship and look at the ice sculpture. Like, like I said, um, the, the Brazil has it in, it has, it mentions uncontacted and undiscovered people in its constitution in large part because of that 70% of unexplored, yeah. uh, forests in that, just that one territory. Uh, they have a real, uh, you don't have that in America. Like, we don't have to no. worry about, you know, how to treat undiscovered tribes. We figured out how to treat the ones we're familiar with badly enough. Right. Right. Um, but so Brazil apparently uh, recognizes that, like, hey, this is your land, right? And right. you legally own it. Yeah. If you're an uncontacted or isolated tribe, nobody can touch it. But then has a really terrible history of following through on stopping people from going in and logging and oil. Uh. Peru's history is even worse. They have uh, some uncontacted tribes, some threatened uncontacted tribes. Right. And uh, Peru's president is like, I'm not even sure they exist. And by the way, the French oil company uh-huh. that's working in this area where they supposedly exist, I've now just decreed uh, that their work is a national necessity. So when, you, when yeah. you're when you an uncontacted <laughs> tribe and you're butting heads with uh, an oil company, you're going to lose. Yeah, I would say so. But I will say Paraguay, uh-huh. hats off to Paraguay. Uh, because they actually, the environmental, nice, Chuck just took his hat off too. <laughs> the environmental ministry, uh, revoked the license of a ranching concern that was just decimating. Oh, really? And, and I'm, I don't mean it in the literal, like, removing 10% term. Right. I mean, like, decimating. All you Latin speakers out there. The, um, the, the, this land that technically belongs to the indigenous uncontacted tribes there. So, so they booted them out or they, they just took away their permits? They took away their permits, which is 
uh, pretty much tantamount to booting them out. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, it's just so sad that when, you know, such a modernist point of view to see these undiscovered or un- uncontacted peoples and think that they're savages and that their way of life is is savage and primitive. It's just, they were here first. Well, I mean, we were, were here. We? we were all here first. We were all here at the same time, but... It's just a complete lack of recognition of other people's choices. Yeah, and a respect for other other cultures and ways of life. And yeah. uh, Cause that, again, that didn't fly around here. There's no Grand Theft Auto in the jungle. No, there's not. No. There's no auto. If you want to learn more about people, undiscovered or otherwise, you should try typing in people in the Andy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. It brings up a hidden sub-channel. Really? Yes. Uh, and uh, I guess since I said hidden sub-channel, that means it's time for what, Chuck, listener mail? Yes, Josh, it is. And before we do that, we want to send a thank you to Dan of uh, the Pottery Dan. Mm-hmm. Dan Made. Dan Made. He has a little uh, Etsy website, danmade.etsy.com, and he makes pottery, and he sent us some really awesome coffee mugs. Yes, Dan Made. Very cool mugs, and actually, that's yeah. my, my work mug now. That's what I use. I noticed. Cool detail. You got an octopus on yours. With a pipe. Oh, did I have a pipe? Smoking a pipe. I can't tell what mine is. It's some little dude, but it's just got cool detail. It's got swirls in the bottom yeah. and little indentions. And, and only some parts of it are glazed and others raw. It's uh-huh. really... Dan Maid knows what he's doing. Yes, he does. So Dan. thanks, Dan. Yeah, thank and you. you know what you wanted to bring up? People have been sending us little gifts, and it's just really nice to come into work and have someone... You know... Uh, what was her name that sent us the Twinkie, the homemade Twinkie the Kid shirts? I don't remember her name. Oh. It's like Kaya or something like Kyla, that? Kyla, I believe. Okay. She should write in because I told her that I would mention her little website too. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we got Twinkie the Kid t-shirts because remember we talked about how badly we wanted some? Uh-huh. So with that, listener mail. All right, I'm going to call this uh, organ donation details from someone who knows. Uh-huh. Uh, hi, Josh and Chuckers and Jerry. I'm an anesthesiologist who specializes in organ transplantation, specifically livers and kidneys. In fact, we performed a liver transplant just last night, and I'm home resting after what is always an exhausting procedure. Uh, He thought we might want a few more details about organ donation, so he says this. "Um, They do not get to meet the donor and the uh, recipient until after a period of time, usually a year, and only after both agree to meet. But we also had people that wrote in and said they met like weeks later. Huh. So it might vary by hospital or state. Yeah. I'm not sure. Or maybe there's just an agreement you go into. But he says they can trade letters and get very basic, uh, unidentifiable information about each other, but it all gets censored by the organ procurement organization. This is because if the recipient does not live or the organ fails, the recipient or donor won't blame the donor or uh, and their families. Also, if the organ works, they don't want the parties involved feeling unduly indebted to the donor after all, it's supposed to be a free gift with no strings attached. After they have both uh, had time to adjust to their new lives and agreed and prepared to meet, they can meet. That being said, people can still find each other if they are looking and turn to the same websites, specifically designed to link donor to recipient, although it is strongly discouraged. So maybe that was the deal. They did sure. it surreptitiously. Yeah. So uh, I thought your Some, listeners... Somebody came up with the website to make money <laughs> off of people who want to meet the people who donated a kidney to them. What a great world we live in. Uh, I, I thought your listeners would want to know this, and I hope it encourages would-be donors that they don't have to meet the recipient if they think it would be too difficult. Regards, Todd. Thanks, Todd. The anesthesiologist. Yeah. And didn't he say that it's uh, like you, you die very easily if you're over-anesthetized during a liver 
Yeah, procedure? he has a PS here. If you want to know why an anesthesiologist would need to specialize in liver transplantation, ask yourself if you would like to wake up during a procedure where patients don't tolerate anesthetics very well, and if you would like your new liver to have something to cleanse. Yeah. That's what he says. Very mysterious, Todd. <laughs> I just asked myself that, and I have no answer. I don't either. So if you bring people to the brink of death and you want to tell us about it, or if you make money off of uh, genuine human kindness, <laughs> we want to hear your ploy. Sure. You can write in, in an email and send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?